0: All right, time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Good morning, Vaughn. And
1: good morning, Simi.
0: Now, I don't think things are any clearer about this big consultation that BC is undergoing. Even after we talked to the lands minister, Nathan Cullen, he seems to think that it's, it's, it's almost like the rest of us are at fault for not fully understanding what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> My favorite line in your interview with him was, uh, we're actually really keen to talk about this.
0: Yeah, I thought since when? Where do
1: people get these notions that the government's trying to hide what it's doing here? You know, okay, so they didn't put out a press release. Okay, so they launched a consultation with the public three weeks ago and didn't tell the public they were doing it. But they're really keen to talk about this as if the only reason the minister is talking to you And talking to anyone else about it is because the news media discovered what they were doing and reported it. And suddenly there was a huge public outcry that the government was trying to sneak something past the public, which they were. And now the ministers is having to explain in the course of explaining himself. He says, oh, we're really keen to talk about this. Right. It's just a coincidence that I'm doing your show right. today, Simi, and talking about it after you've done three stories on it. That's the reason I'm here to talk to
0: you. Right. But still, I, I didn't come away from that, even though I asked, you know, over and over and over again, I didn't get a sense of really what this is all about.
1: No, no look, um, he didn't explain why they didn't announce the consultation to the public. He claimed that this is no big deal, that it all it does was enable the government to sign joint management ag- and governance agreements with First Nations. And those agreements will be on the basis of consent. But when you tried to find out if, in the government's mind, consent is the same thing as giving First Nations a veto. He just didn't answer the question at all. He didn't address that issue at all. They do not want to talk about whether or not giving, recognizing and enshrining in law, by the way, the native consent, the indigenous right to consent, um, means the same thing as a veto, although I think most people who've spent any time thumbing through the dictionary It's pretty hard to see the distinction. So that's the other issue here. Look, I thought there was a very good response on this from Adam Olson, who's the Green MLA for uh, Saanich, um, North Saanich uh, riding here on Vancouver Island. He's an indigenous leader himself. And he said yesterday, look, um, he recognizes the need for the government to do this. He sees it is part of the process of accepting the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. But he said, doing this without putting out a news release announcing you're doing it and why, without bringing the public along is a mistake. It's essential. You can't say, To people, oh, well, you know, we did this four years ago and this just flows from that. No, he says it's critically important to bring the public along every step of the way. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them why you're doing it. Because, and he says it, and I agree with him on this. The backlash on this descends on indigenous
0: people. Exactly. You should
1: blame the government for this, right? It's not the fault of indigenous people that they have constitutional rights that they're exercising, right? That's not their fault. They're doing what all of us would do if we felt our rights were infringed. But by the government sneaking this stuff through and not having a proper consultation where they bring the public along and explain it, where the minister has to run around after the news media discover it and explain himself, that is a mistake given the central importance of these changes To the governing of British
0: Columbia, if we want to bring everybody along, you do not want to see that backlash. That's exactly what I'm afraid of happening here too. So, do a rush job. Yes, that's the other thing, right? And again, he
1: didn't address that, right? So they launched the consultation in January. They don't tell anybody they're doing it. Here we are to February. In February, they're going to start drafting the legislation. Takes a while to do that before the public consultation is finished, and then. They intend, the New Democrats, to use their legislative majority to enact these changes, never mind what the public says, before the legislature adjourns in May. Uh, That kind of a rush job, again, of course people are suspicious about what they're up to here.
0: Of course they are. I know. And we're not done, obviously, talking about it. But there's other political issues, too, that we're going to talk about. Let's talk about some other political headlines happening this week. Ron Palmer back with us. Let's start with uh, BC United. I got this press release, too. They've got something going on.
1: Yeah, so it's election year and the opposition parties are busy. And uh, there's actually a little story from each of the three of them today. So BC United, Kevin Falcon has a news conference tonight in Vancouver, a rally. Uh, a restaurant in Vancouver, and then their conservative BC United. We'll get to conservatives in a minute. Uh, BC United are going to release their big advertising campaign. So we've been expecting this for a while. The BC United said they were raising money late last year for a rebranding campaign. They said in early January that they'd raised a lot of money in the last quarter of 2023 and they were expecting a big launch. So this will be radio, print, television, social media, advertising, and around the theme of, I believe anyway, a re-branding, rebranding BC Liberals as BC United Uh, Sammy, the actual name change happened last April, so it's not like this is a rush job. No.
0: Also, (laughs) uh, might be a great time to do this, considering some of the other headlines that we have seen. For instance, I mean, they've already... A lot of people clearly are checking out what the B.C. Conservatives are all about.
1: They are indeed. Uh, The listener could check out the social media feed on the X of uh, our colleague Richard Zussman because he's posted a very interesting uh, picture of a rally last weekend, a B.C. Conservative Party rally in Dawson Creek, and it looks like a room full of hundreds of people. So we're still a long way away from an election, and a big crowd shows up in Dawson Creek, to check out the local BC Conservative candidate, a guy named Larry Newfield, already nominated. Look, uh, the Peace River ridings are currently held by BC United. Uh, the members there were elected as BC Liberals, but that part of the province in the past has elected Socrates, it's elected Reform Party, MLAs, uh, Elected the Liberals when they picked up all the reform support, but that's uh, that's a part of the province that's going to be wide open to the message from the Conservatives. And that crowd suggests to me that the two local BC United MLAs should be worried about their ability to hang on to those ridings in a general election this fall.
0: Right, and that is, that's Mike Bernier is one of those, right?
1: Yeah, Mike Bernier and Dan Davies. Yeah. And you know, they've already both announced they're running again yeah. for the under the BC United label. This is a this is a problem with the merger idea, right? And there's a call out there, business leaders and so forth saying, oh, the two parties have got to get together and merge. It's too late. The, t- the two parties have already nominated all kinds of candidates all over the province. Like, what are you gonna do? Go to your local. Nominee and say, actually, we want you to step aside for the conservative. I've been an MLA for ten years. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's too far advanced now to reverse direction. A coalition might have been possible very early on, but uh, now it's going to be that writing. It's probably going to be BC Conservative versus United. And the New Democrats kind of hoping that they split the vote so badly that the NDP candidate is a shot up there.
0: And I, I don't know where in the past year you, anybody could have said, yes, we have to merge right now, because, it, it you know, who knew that it was going to take off like this? Yeah,
1: that's true. And look, there's, there's leadership egos, right? You're never going to get Kevin Falcon to admit that he, well, at least not till after the election, that it was a terrible mistake to kick John Rustad out of the caucus, you know, caucus, uh, out, out goes Rustad, And in a few months, he's leader of the B.C. Conservatives. And he's saying the best thing that ever happened to him politically was Kevin Falcon kicked him out of the caucus. So, no, I mean, you know, everybody on the sidelines who doesn't realize how much ego and resources are invested in political parties is always imagining scenarios where, oh, yeah, they could, too, they could get together. Uh, parties do get together, but usually it's after they've lost an election. Not well, before.
0: Yeah, and that's what makes this, uh, I think, challenging too. And I'd be curious to know, like, the people who are going out to these BC Conservative meetings to hear the message. Like, what is the message? Is is each potential candidate saying something different? Because it it sure seems that way now. <laughs> right? We just saw that well, with the I've... two by elections, two candidates, two ridings, two different messages.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. Uh, the BC United complaint is that all the conservatives are doing is surfing a wave created by Pierre Polyev. Well, so what? Uh, they're picking up the same messages, right? They're they're running against the carbon tax. They're talking about affordability. Um, they're saying that the you know provincial government is overregulating and making it hard to attract investment and picking up on federal hunting regulations and all that, you know, that's true. But if you're picking up the successful parts of the message of the federal party of the same name, so what if you're also picking up support from people who are going, well, I like this Polyev guy. And you know what? This guy, Rustov is making a lot of sense as well. Like treating the voters like they're stupid and they can't figure these things out is not a very good strategy, I have to say. And you know that we've had so many opinion polls suggesting the message is clicking There's not much point in being in denial about it anymore.
0: That's very true. Okay, and let's talk about the other opposition party here. BC Greens Greens have an announcement coming up.
1: Yeah, announcement today, uh, Sonia Firstino, the Greens. She says that it'll be about the campaign this year. We've been waiting to find out where Sonia Firstino is going to run. So she's currently the NLA for the Cowichan Valley. Uh, The southern end of Vancouver Island has been redistributed by the Electoral Boundaries Commission. And she's actually got a couple of choices. Uh, She could run, uh, if you think of the map of Vancouver Island, she could run riding based north of the Malahat or in a riding based mostly south of it. Um, There is an open riding in the capital region, and there's some thought she might run there. Uh, The riding has the name Langford, which is also where John Horgan used to represent, but the Horgan successor is running in a different riding. So it's possible she's going to run in the capital region possible. She'll stay in the Cowichan region. She's going to announce it today, I think. That's where she's headed. And look, the new Democrats pulled out all the stops to defeat Sonia O in 2020 after they tore up the power-sharing agreement with the Greens. I expect they will make every effort to beat her again. But, you know, lots of political uh, leaders in the province have uh, been surprised to discover that your first and know is a pretty effective campaigner. I think she'll be competitive wherever she runs,
0: and pretty like pretty good MLA too. Like clearly, connection yeah. to the community. But this is different than when you say when she's going to have to pick a different riding here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a problem when there's an electoral dis- redistribution of the house, and they, you know, they sometimes change the name of your riding when you didn't want it to, and sometimes they take bits of your riding out and give it to somebody else, and those were your best places. So I'm sure she's sat down and gone polling division by polling division and worked it out. I don't know which way she's going. But as I said, this decision has been waited for a while. So it'll be a big announcement. Adam Olson, who we talked about, he's running and his sandwich riding again for sure. And he's a solid bet to win that for a third time.
0: All right. Tell us lots of interesting stuff. Thanks, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Cindy. That is Vaughn Palmer there from the Vancouver Sun. So not just the government with news these days, but also all the all. Now I say all the opposition parties, all three of them, it seems like. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and all podcast platforms.